magic is power. Another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I am your legacy newbie. With me this week, as always, Jerry. What's going on, man? Uh, not much, Pat. How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, so first this week, uh, just to lead off, we wanted to scrap the hipsters and the Patreon stuff because we had something a little bit more important we wanted to talk about. Um, one of our friends, he's been a, a co-host on the show before. Uh, Jeremy goes by Zemet on Twitter. Um, one of the stores he's uh, aligned with, uh, Valhalla's Gate. Um, down in uh, Missouri is hosting a fundraiser for one of the local players who uh, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, they, their community has kind of rallied around to help uh, provide funds for him to go to basically like a, essentially like a, a outpatient treatment for cancer um, and doing stuff like that. So they, they had someone donate an unlimited mock sapphire and they have a bunch of stuff uh, stuff they've added to the prize pool uh, just for this um, just for this tournament. Uh, they also have a GoFundMe for Steve. Um, which I will link in the show notes as well. If anyone wants to donate to that, that's great. But uh, we, assure, we we assured Jeremy that we would be happy to um, plug the event uh, at Valhalla's Gate. It's on September 2nd. Um, and uh, just kind of give it a little signal boost. I think it's uh, the Magic Community doing really cool things. And uh, we just wanted to just kind of give them a shout-out and uh, a little bit of a signal boost, like I said. Yeah. And if you're not in the Missouri area, you know, that's all right. Uh, also, a uh, friend of the cast, James Kennan, brought this to our attention. Um because James, I don't know if we've talked about him before, but he set up the MTG Sick Deals, which yep. is now one of like the most prominent uh, uh, magic trading sites. I think yep. they have like over twenty-two thousand people in the yeah, in the group. It's, it's great. Um, so he came, he became aware of it because uh, Steve was actually on the group selling his Grixis deck in order to pay for you know this treatment that cost tens of thousands of dollars yep. and. You know, he just decided, you know, that, that's not right. You know, it's shitty enough that having to go through something like that, but then having to sell something that you love in order to, you know, just live is uh, is terrible. So um, James also has posted up on there. We'll link it in the show notes, too. There's a PayPal and a GoFundMe. So even if you can't make it to uh, Jeremy's tournament um, and you still want to, you know, show your support, help out a fellow uh, player, uh, you can you can jump on there and, uh, and donate a couple bucks. Nice, awesome, um, and just uh, just a real quick. Uh, Jeremy did mention that um, this has been going on for the last four years that he's been going through through can- like you know kind of cancer treatments. So it's obviously it's something that can really pile up, and you know we're all lucky enough to play a very can be a very expensive uh, ho- you know hobby uh, game. So um, it's nice to be able to give back uh, when we can, you know. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. That's what makes Legacy awesome. All yes. the people. For sure. For sure. Um, all right, so now let's just get into it because we have an awesome guest on this week. Uh, we yeah, have speaking of awesome people, yeah, we have Bryant Cook, uh, really the the originator, the developer of of the Epic Storm, the the deck tests, which gives me fits identifying all the time. So maybe we can get whoa, some whoa, answers whoa. out of that today. Yes, oh, yes. <laughs> Please separate the letters, Pat. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so so Bryant's on the cast today. Welcome, Bryant. Man, what's going on? Not much. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, I'm really excited to talk about the deck today. Um, but we always kind of, you know, we're not just a, a spiky kind of podcast. We like to get into a little bit of the more the personal side of magic. So, um, you know, just to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about like how you got into magic, how long you've been playing for, and sort of how you got into legacy? Uh, 
I got started right around the end of Invasion Block when 7th Edition came out. I want to say it was 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. Uh, I was invited to an after-school, this is like junior high for me, and uh, after-school Magic Club, where I got wrecked. I was playing like a mono-green Defensive of the Heart deck and just got crushed. There, my uh, opponent had a Royal Assassin and Icy Manipulators and Ice Flows and just, it was embarrassing. Oh, the best days of Magic. Uh, with Call of the Herd, throwing around 3-3 Elephant Tokens all over the place. That card was way too expensive. <laughs> That was like a $25 card in I know. That was primo, primo back in the day. $25 for a card was unheard of. It was. <laughs> I remember when Tarmogoyf hit 35 and people started losing it. <laughs> it's the death of magic. <laughs> um, uh, awesome. But, yeah, so, uh, fun fact, and not really that fun, but I still use Invasion Basics because it's right around the time that I started, so I have, like, one of each art that I use that I have, like, 30 or so foils of. That's awesome. I love yeah. those arts, too, because that's right around when I started playing. Uh, and I just feel like the Invasion Onslaught block basic lands just have... Like, when I think of, like, the terrain of magic, if, you know, you would visualize how this battle would play out, like, I, that's what I picture in my mind, is the, that's art style. I'm with you there. Uh, I kind of wish that the Thunder Plane from Odyssey was from Invasion. It just isn't. <laughs> that is a pretty sweet planes. <laughs> So you got your socks rocked at this after-school club. Uh, so what what was after that? Uh, I went to a store in Syracuse where I'm from called, uh, at the time it was called Altered States. And I went to my first event, and I'm now playing a Mono Green Elves deck. This is <laughs> right around uh, Legions, because I was still playing Defense of the Heart into Closion Crowd Scrapers now instead of Avatars of Might. <laughs> you upgraded, and, uh, good. <laughs> I had Vitalizing Wind in my deck. And round one, I get paired against the guy on five-color blue because uh, Fetchlands hadn't really picked up yet, so he's just running 16 blue dual lands and, like, six islands. And he had uh, Squeeze, Masticors, Forbids, Pernicious Deeds, Swords to Plowshares, Mana Drain, Force of Will, Intuition. It was pretty much a pile of a deck. But I kept <laughs> on playing 1-1 one, one Elves into his Masticor, and after a while he was kind of just like, do you not understand why they're dying? And, uh, like, 11-year-old Bryant was just like, are you telling me I lost? Like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and then uh, the next game, he managed my Vitalizing Wind, which didn't feel fun. God, that's gross. And uh, so the was, this, after was this that, extended? Like, what, no, this was, like, or 1.5. 1.5, okay, nice. Yeah, we never had, like, 1.5 tournaments when I was growing up, so... It's always interesting to hear about, like, the competitive 1.5 scene back in the day. Well, uh, Syracuse actually had, and they don't exist anymore, which is a tragedy, but Team 1.5 events where you would sit kitty corner from your partner, and you shared, you did not share a life total, but you were on a team, and so Reanimator was really popular because your partner would go, turn one careful study, and then you would reanimate their Hypnox. Or uh, <laughs> Team High Tide was also very good. Yeah, that's brutal. So, like, a lot of decks like that that just had a lot of synergies were very powerful. Uh, me being very bad, tried Team Goblins a number of times. <laughs> we'll overwhelm them with our numbers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, yeah. I, I love those uh, old-school formats. I was just with uh, a bunch of people, and we were talking about, did you ever play uh, Emperor back in the day? Teams I did not. I know uh, what it is, but I've never played yeah, for our listeners who have never heard of it, Emperor was a sweet old sty uh, style of play 
where you had three people on a team, the Emperor sat in the middle with the two lieutenants on either side, and you could only attack uh, directly over, and you the goal was to kill the other team's Emperor, but you couldn't start attacking the Emperor until you had an opening by finishing off one of their lieutenants. And the Emperor can, like, play creatures and, like, shift creatures over to their lieutenants. Uh, I want to make it a comeback, because I, I miss that format so much. That makes one of us. Yeah. <laughs> Can't have an Emperor with only one player. <laughs> so, alright, so you're, you're moving up in the world. What, uh, what comes next? Oh, let me think. I played a bunch of bad decks, so uh, I think after that I... The first deck I built was, like, Mono Black Suicide with Nantuko Shades, and my mom bought me Sinkholes, which I was not allowed to trade because they were $20 each. And uh, they were, like, the fourth most expensive card of 1.5 at the time. Oh, good old... And, you know, that's about where they are now. So that is a stagnant investment. <laughs> I remember buying Volcanic Islands at $12 each. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was someone at my local game store that actually gave me a set of forcibles because I couldn't get them, and they were $8 each at the time. So good. Yeah, I think right around this time I built Turbo Stasis. Uh, and I, I got, uh, yeah. Hey, you laugh at Turbo Stasis, but I still have those Tropical Islands and Force of Wills to this day, which I got for like a combined like like $25. I just like a like Turbo, hurry up and do nothing. Turbo Stasis. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the point. I'm doing nothing quicker than anyone else. I remember Turbo Lands. I don't think I ever faced Turbo Stasis. Like, Turbo oh. Lands was very popular in my area. Tur- Turbo Stasis was uh, like Stasis with Exploration, Four Thwarts, um, Four Dazes, and then you use like Chronotog, Tangle Wire, uh, in order to just lock your opponents out of the game. So you just like don't like your friends? No, yeah. I mean the win condition is the win condition is me skipping my turns so that my opponent decks themselves by naturally drawing their deck. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up putting that deck down when I drew in game one three rounds out of a nine-round tournament. Couldn't go back. <laughs> can't, can't imagine that's magic that you want to play more than once. I, it was magic I wanted to play, but yeah. you know, no one else wanted to. <laughs> so, so Brian, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, the Epic Storm and kind of uh, where it's had it, where it had its beginnings? Well, uh, I first built the deck because I was playing a bunch of Vintage Storm decks, and it, TES wasn't the first Legacy Storm deck, but it was probably the first successful Legacy Storm deck. There was one prior to it called Nausea, which relied on Helm of Awakening and Land Grant and City of Traders, and I tried playing that because it was super fun, but the deck just like couldn't win a game if it wanted to, mm-hmm. and so I tried combining a bunch of different things from Storm decks that I had played into one deck, and I ended up with... Uh, at the time, it was a Helm of Awakening-based deck with, like, Priest of Gix and Trinket Mage for LED. It was pretty bad. I also played Second Sunrise. So it wasn't like it was a great deck, but shortly after, Rite of Flame was printed in Cold Snap, and that's when everything changed because they got to cut all those bad cards because you actually had another playable ritual. And that's when, like, the Epic Storm, as we know today, started. Ah, oh, so that's interesting. So in the beginning, what was holding Storm back wasn't necessarily that, you know, the Storm mechanic wasn't fully fleshed out yet you just didn't have the engine uh i wouldn't say the engine because there was a bunch of engines around like diminishing returns and ill-gotten gains were cards that people were aware of but they weren't sure how to break them yet it's just like the mana wasn't there okay so and uh with 1.5 going into legacy uh the format gained chromox lotus petal lion's eye diamond 
So a lot of people are trying combo decks. It's just like none of them really worked. Okay. So what what clicked with the Epic Storm uh, that you know made you realize this is this deck has legs? So I was on a team at the time, uh, the Epic Syndicate, which is where the deck gets its name from. And when they had announced Time Spiral, I was really really excited about Grape Shot because I looked at it as a way to pair it with Tendrils of Agony, so that I didn't actually have to storm for ten. I might be able to storm for five then six or something close to that and uh a guy on my team was like no dude empty the warrens is where it's at it allows you to storm for four on turn one and just attack with eight goblins until they're dead because at the time there was no blockers that came down on turn one that would not die if it blocked a one one so empty the warrens ended up being like a really big deal and shortly after i won my first big event nice yeah i i I really love the Empty the Warrens uh, game plan. I can't tell you the number of times you w- I've won in like a cube game one where you just go land, Lotus Petal, Dark Ritual, Empty the Warrens. It's like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I saw a screenshot of a guy who posted, it was like turn one Lotus, Mox, Mox, Recall, Empty the Warrens, and his opponent just conceded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, even if you deal with the ga- the goblins, it's like your opponent's still so far ahead. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, I also love in the Storm deck, not to get too far ahead, but having the Goblins win condition in the back of my mind makes me think it's like, you know, I don't really want to keep these uh, like pernicious deeds in, but I kind of have to if he goes for the Goblins goblins plan. Yeah, that happens a lot. One of my favorite things about Empty the Warns is the ability to flashback Cabal Therapies. So you uh, end yeah. up like getting like a pseudo-mind twist a lot of the time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if it's good with Pyromancer, it's even better with a bunch of Goblin tokens. Uh, so, where were we? Uh, Want right, to go back to other bad decks that we've played in the past? <laughs> yes, other bad decks. We're just giving Pat lots of editing jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my first blue deck that I played was Landstill, and uh, back then it was blue-white-red, and the red was for Fire Ice and Flame Tongue Kabu, which is just like one of the best creatures at the time. Like, oh, not yeah. too many things held up to Flame Tongue Kabu. And at the time, Phyrexian Negator was really big out of the Suicide Black decks that I had previously been playing. And let me tell you, it does not feel good <laughs> when your Negator gets hit by a Flame Tongue out of it. Uh, especially because they just curve perfectly into each other. It's like fl- Neg- Negator on three. Okay, Flame Tongue Ta- Kabu on Even if four. you could sacrifice four permanents to keep your Negator, they now have a blocker for your Negator. Right. So it was just miserable. Uh, the only- but- the only thing worse is when you go, like, land, dark ritual, negator, and then your opponent goes mountain, lightning bolt, your negator. Yes. <laughs> Man, I can't believe Phyrexian Negator was an all-star back in the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All everyone ever has is bad beats about how Phyrexian Negator lost them the game. <laughs> Turn 1 Hypnotic Spectre was a lot better. Yeah. Well, I actually played uh, this guy I work with, and he's like, oh, I played Magic back in the day, uh, let's play sometime. And he brings over, like, an unsleeved deck, and he just goes turn one Dark Ritual uh, Hypnotic Spectre, and I'm like, wow, I, I actually have, I don't have any removal, and this is just going to shred my hands. Yeah. So, so uh, the Landstill deck was the first event, I was the first big event I have ever played in, and it was a very weird uh, structure, so, like, Back in 2004 or 5, events weren't huge like they are today. So there was an 80-person event in Syracuse where like guys from Virginia drove up to play in it because large legacy events or 1.5 events didn't exist at the time. So it was 80 people in top 16 playoff. And uh, I made it as the 16th seed, and I got paired against the one seed. 
on a guy who didn't lose a single game that day. And he was playing a blue, or I'm sorry, black white life game with uh, the cleric combos. So like he was playing, uh, I believe it's called like Dar News Mar, uh, something spiritualist. And oh, target it and it gets yeah. zero three, and then they sacrifice and gain a bajillion life. Mm-hmm. But uh, my deck just had so much removal in it being land still that the guy couldn't ever do anything. And then uh, I also the land still deck played mana drains, which like twelve year old Brian clearly couldn't afford. So I got to uh, top four and played against uh, the mud deck that had turned one Mistress Workshop into Trinosphere, and I just got crushed. Oh, Trinosphere was already printed at this time? Uh, I think it was. Maybe it was just Sphere of Resistance. I remember not being able to cast any of my spells. Yeah. Either way, it's the, the deck's going to lock you out. <laughs> yeah. So going from there, uh, so, I mean, it sounds like you, you really started off with uh, with a lot of fair decks. When did you kind of start dipping your toe in combo waters? Uh, well, it was actually standard, believe it or not. Yeah? So I, I played a lot of the Cart Clay Ironworks deck in standard. Oh, I remember that deck. That deck was sick. <laughs> I had a really awesome experience with it, and by awesome, I mean, like, not fun for my opponent. Uh <laughs> Go. Please, please go on. <laughs> so I had been playing the deck for like four or five months, and this was like right up before the banding of all the artifact lands, and I paired against this like, and I was like maybe a 12 or 13 at the time, and I get paired against this like eight or nine-year-old kid that uh, said he had just started playing from Yu-Gi-Oh, like his brother lent him a deck, and I finally opened up the turn two kill in standard. Like I had never done it before, because like the odds of doing it were like sub 5%. So it's like turn one artifact land, Chrome Mox, Pented Prism, Talisman, Cast Thought Cast, Turn 2, Carclay and Ironworks, Mirror Incubator, Goblin Charbelcher, Activate, and your opponent loses. And uh, he picks up his cards and he goes, I think I'm going to go back to Yu-Gi-Oh! And that was it. <laughs> he could have been the next Finkel, and you turned him away. <laughs> I didn't mean to, it just kind of happened. And if you've got it, you got to flaunt it, right? Got it. Flaunt it. <laughs> so uh, that was like the intro to me playing combo decks. Like I had dabbled with some other ones like uh, Spanish Inquisition. It was actually a deck before with Spanish Inquisition. They called it Uno or Draw Four. Mm-hmm. And it just played like four Meditate, four Cruel Bargain, four Infernal Contract. And like I had tried that deck. Yeah. Yeah. It just like wasn't very good. Yeah. I also had a really fun High Tide Bubbling Muck deck. Where uh, this was a little bit later, but it played like four Wander Grave, four Underground Sea, a bunch of fetch lands, and then you would just like try to high tide bubbling muck them to death. What does bubbling muck do? I don't think I know that card. That it's like high tide, but black for swamps. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds sweet. Like, I've actually played a bunch of really bad decks throughout my life, other than the Epic Storm, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Well, let's let's get let's get right into the epic storm because I would say it's probably your claim to fame. Would you agree? Or you, uh, yeah, I mean, I have three standard Star City eight uh, Star City Games top eights. Thank you. But, uh, <laughs> we don't talk about standard here. Oh crap! <laughs> Unless it's the standard of years gone by. <laughs> Let me tell you about Blue White Delver in 2011. <laughs> yeah, that's what the listeners want to hear. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Epic Storm is uh, what I'm known for. I top eight at a Grand Prix when I was in college a million years ago, and then uh, I won a Star City shortly after college in 2013, I believe. 
Nice. So, so it got its name from the Team Epic. Um, so was this like a deck that you were working on with a bunch of other people and you were the first one to, you know, really make the breakout? Or is this like your baby that you've been working on uh, for a while? It was my deck for the most part. Uh, like there was guys that like gave me ideas here and there, but it's always been mine for lack of a better term. Like mm-hmm. I was the guy driving the deck. Yeah. And uh, it's changed a whole bunch over the years. Like, if you look at early lists, you'll see Helm of Awakening, and then you'll see a bunch of gold lands like Undiscovered Paradise. And the land count has gone up over the years from, like, 8 to 14 in some lists. I currently play 13, but it started with 8, with, like, one of them being a Cabal Pit, and then, like, a Tomb of Yurami, Undiscovered Paradise, City of Brass, Gemstone Mine, a number of things. Mm-hmm. So... It, it's already been covered in many other places, so we don't want to go, you know, too deep into the shallow end, if that makes sense. Uh, but kind of, can you just give our listeners a breakdown of, you know, what the Epic Storm is, how it's different from other Storm decks, and just kind of what its goal is compared to, you know, say, like, Ad Nauseam? Uh, well, let's start with, like, what the deck is. It's a Legacy Storm deck. Mm-hmm. It's uh, based around Ad Nauseam primarily which I think is a common misconception because a lot of people think it's like Empty the Warns 90% of the time. Uh, Empty the Warns is probably used about 40% of the time with Tendrils of Agony being like 50% and then the last 10% being like Grape Shot or Telemant Performance or opponents conceding. Uh, <laughs> it happens more than you think. Like you just yeah. can't kill them and they do the wrong ma- the math wrong and they pick up their cards. But... Uh, yeah, and uh, it's defined really by, like, Chromox, Rite of Flame, and Burning Wish. Those three cards, if you see those, those are the indicators that it's the Epic Storm or TES and not Ad Nauseam Tendrils. Uh, Ad Nauseam Tendrils, they play Past and Flame's main deck, which TES does not. And uh, a good indicator is Cabal Ritual. Uh, you'll see a few people here and there trying to jam it into TES, but, like, fundamentally it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's an inherently slow card. And TS is trying to go fast most of the time. Mm. Uh, I feel the big misconception comes where people just get a cursory knowledge of the two decks, and they're like, oh, TES is the deck that runs red, and then they see Past and Flames out of uh, Ad Nauseam Tendrils, and like, oh, I must be playing against Tess. Yeah, you wouldn't believe the number of Graft Diggers cages that get jammed against me on turn one, and my opponent is so excited. And I'm just <laughs> like, yeah, that's great. It's like a Pithing Needle, a metal worker. It's like, ah. <laughs> yeah. I've also had my fair share of Pithy Needle on Lion's Eye Diamond. Oh, and the best yeah. thing about that is you don't use the Lion's Eye Diamond because you want them to do it again game three, so you just kill them another way. <laughs> savage. Savage. <laughs> they bring in more. They bring in, like, Revokers and <laughs> Pithing Needle. Well, Revokers would work. Revokers would work. Revokers would work, but... <laughs> So something that trips me up all the time playing online is I forget that Revoker can't name lands and I'll fetch in response. And then afterwards, like, it takes a few seconds, then it dawns on me. I'm like, oh, I'm dumb. Like, I just <laughs> opened myself up to a wasteland or something I didn't need to. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, that that's that I feel is perfect. So if you can keep an eye out for a Chrome Mox, Rite of Flame, and Burning Wish, you know you're playing against Tess. So now that your opponents know that the the end is near, <laughs> what what comes next? Uh, generally, a tendrils of agony. Uh, sometimes an empty the warrens. If I don't like you, a grape shot for twenty. <laughs> Good. And uh, uh, I've actually been using a lot of Telemann performance recently because uh, in the storm mirror, it mills your opponent to death. Same thing against lands. 
uh, against Reanimate or Sneak and Show, it puts a giant fatty into play. Yeah, I've been seeing that pop up more and more often. I was at a tournament this weekend, and like three of my opponents had it in their sideboard that they were like, after the match, they brought it out like, oh, I'm sad I didn't get to play this against you. Yeah, uh, so there's a local, and I shouldn't say local, it's like two hours south of Syracuse, uh, 2K every month, and the guy that is known for playing Sneak and Show there is now playing a bunch of Simeon Spirit guides because I've telemented him so many times. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I have noticed that too out of the Sneak and Show decks that uh, they're starting to move towards the Simeon Spirit guide plan. Which uh, I just, do not like. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I thought it was more just to kind of ramp the deck up, uh, but it's also great protection, like you mentioned, against Telemann performance. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to go get foil uh, Simeon Spirit guides. Thanks, Good Brian. Good luck getting them signed. <laughs> uh, the uh, artist doesn't like signing cards. He doesn't? Uh, no, uh, he's known for signing the back of them. Oh. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm not even joking. That's like... That's just rude. <laughs> like, does he tell them that he's signing the back of the card? Well, uh, it's generally like you mail the artist cards, and uh, he signs the back of them. And then mails them back. Yeah. So uh, Bruce Campbell was in Syracuse like 10 years ago, and uh, my buddy who played High Tide really wanted to get his brain freezes signed by Bruce Campbell, because, like, what's cooler than killing someone with a Bruce Campbell signed brain freeze? <laughs> Bruce Campbell looks at it. And goes, I'm going to sign this on the back and just scribbles Bruce Campbell. And he's like, okay, thanks. But uh, he still has a Bruce Campbell signed High Tide. Or not High Tide, Brain Freeze. Brain Freeze. That, Brain Freeze has always been my storm love because one of my first decks I put together was like the old school Alluring Cavern Harpy deck with Brain Freeze as the win condition. I remember that. Uh, but unfortunately, printing of Eldrazi uh, made it not so reliable anymore. Uh, Around that time, I was playing Red Threshold. Oh, yeah. That was a good deck. I won my first mocks with that deck. Nice. Yeah. Werebear was too OP. <laughs> the, Werebear, the original Tarmogoyf. Well, going back to Flame Tongue Kavu, it was like, at the time, all the Threshold decks, they used to play like two fatties. Like the white list would play uh, Mystic Enforcer, and the red list would play Fledgling Dragon. I cut the Fledgling Dragons and started playing two to three main deck Flame Tongue Kavu, and it just started beating the mirror all the time because it traded with two Werebears. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> so, jumping back to the Epic Storm, um, what what kind of makes it better than other Storm variants? You know, we've already covered Brain Freeze is no longer a win condition. Um, you know, what is what does the Epic Storm give you that you can't get out of other decks? So it's a mixture between speed and consistency. So uh, if you look at uh, let's say Belcher for being the lowest for speed. And there's similar decks like uh, Oops All Spells or similar things like that. And then High Tide being your very slowest. You Next to TES, you have Ant. And then I don't even know if there's anything between Belcher and TES, to be honest. But that's how the line of speed really goes. So you end up just being a little bit faster than the Ad Nauseam Tendrils. Like Ad Nauseam Tendrils has an average combo turn of like three to three and a half where TES is really like two to two and a half. So you end up beating a lot of decks by just being faster. So, uh, for example, I have an 83% death and taxes matchup just because I kill them before they can play Thalia most of the time. I'm so jealous. I was going to say, it's not like a deck after Jerry's heart. (laughs) Death death and taxes is my nemesis. Yeah, uh, pick up the Epic Storm, 83%. You heard it here. (laughs) You may have made a believer out of me. Uh, Yeah. 
So I have this spreadsheet that I track all my uh, match results in, and it just spits out these numbers for me. So I have it match up data for everything. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this a bit before the cast, but uh, I tried doing that as well. And I, we actually talked about this on the last episode where uh, both me and Pat have, have uh, started spreadsheets. But we kind of feel eventually the deck changes so much that the spreadsheet data is no longer relevant. Have you, you know, kind of faced the similar hurdle or, you know, what's your experience with that? So with my spreadsheet, I actually track data by deck list. So I can actually see how individual decks are doing and then... I can compare that. So I can actually filter it so that it has individual decks and then everything. So I haven't really run into that issue. But oh. I can definitely see, uh, like, every deck list that I've played so far without Defense Grid or Echoing Truth has a lower win percentage, for example. That's great data points. Uh, so, like, is it just you collecting this data, or are you sourcing it to other players? like, Or do you just play all the time? So all the data in my spreadsheet is my own. Uh, there's... Just under a thousand matches since the banning of top. And <laughs> since the banning of top. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Moto is great. You get to play in your boxers, and it doesn't matter. Uh, so I, I just want to bring this up real quick, but I've always said that the way to become a great Storm player is to play the living hell out of Storm. So oh, you have, you have played a thousand matches with this deck in what, like the last two months? How long was top band banned? Uh, I can look it up real quick. And by real quick, I mean in forever. It was <laughs> okay. banned 424-17. So three months. More magic is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, less, less than three months. You you have 1,000 data points in less than three months. That's like three. That's like 10 matches a game on average, or 10 matches a day on average. Yeah, give or take probably. <laughs> okay. Not a math doctor. <laughs> All right, you heard it here first, uh, people. Play a shit ton of Storm and be a great Storm Master. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know where that was going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, so Moto, you said. Uh, so you get a lot of games in on Moto? I do. Uh, by the way, my spreadsheet's public information. You can download it on the homepage of my website. And there's other people that use it. So I just released an article where it's my spreadsheet versus an ant player spreadsheet, and you can compare the percentages between the two decks. So you can see how often TES uses Tendrils of Agony versus Ad Nauseam Tendrils, win percentage against blue decks for both decks, win percentage against Chalice decks for both decks. So you can definitely compare them to a closer degree. Yeah, the, uh, so, the website you have for the Epic Storm is, is outstanding, which we can get to later on, but I think it's, it's really, really great. Thank yeah, you. That, that, that's also just a great public service for the legacy community, just having access to that type of data. It's a lot of hard work, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I'm a web designer for what I do for a living, and uh, keeping it up to date with fresh content isn't always easy because I'm not a writer. Mm-hmm. So I have like a couple like uh, Google extensions that help me with my typing, but a lot of the time there's no editor. I have to reread things. Uh, I have to add in all the card tags, like the hovers for cards manually. So it takes time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I write uh, articles for Hipsters of the Coast, and just the uh, arduous task of adding the like card links so that when people hover over the card name and the picture pops up, appreciate that, people, because that takes <laughs> fucking forever to put in, and it's so annoying. It does. <laughs> I, I like, also have to add all of the cards into my card database, so if there's a new card that comes out, I have to take it down from the internet, 
put it into my own FTP and then resize it and then link it to a couple other places, but it ends up working eventually. So much of content creation is just a labor of love. It really is true, but uh, we will, we can definitely talk about the website later. I don't, I don't want to sidetrack us too much, but um, the first time I went to it, I was really blown away by how um, it's just so, it's so clean. It's such a great resource. I wish there was more um, landing pages like this for all the different legacy decks that we, yeah, there's one for death and taxes. Oh right, um, uh, what is it called? Robin University. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. If uh, someone could do that for sneaking show for me, I'd appreciate that. <laughs> sure, you're supposed to be you. <laughs> you're the sneaking show guy. I'm busy, man. <laughs> I mean, can't be that difficult, right? Like fire three mana, cash show and tell, end of website. <laughs> it's. Uh, you want? I can do that for you. It'll take me twenty minutes. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> appreciate it. Hey, hey, sometimes there's a preordain in there. Don't forget. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no legacy deck is that easy to play. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, there's there's plenty of good nature dripping around it. I love it. Um, but, I mean, I think it's it's pretty safe to say Storm is probably one of the most complicated decks in Legacy to play. Like, when, when people say it's easy to play Magic, it's hard to play Magic well, like, I picture Storm. Like, that is the perfect example yeah. of that saying. It's like the perfect, it's like the exact, like, extremely low floor, but very, very high ceiling. Right. Well, uh, you could think of it like the storm scale, right? Except for, like, the storm scales for how broken things are. <laughs> well, it's difficult to play broken things, right? Yeah, of right. course. Yeah, just because it's almost a, um, what's the word? Like a self-nerfing <laughs> aspect of the game that, uh, you know, you can make things unfair if you make it so that only a very few people can do it well. So uh, one thing I've seen... Because I meet a lot of people that, like, oh, hey, I'm a fan of your deck. I've been playing it a lot online. And then I watch them play in paper in person. And they get caught up a lot with, uh, what? sorry, I'm, like, losing my words at the moment. But doing the little things, like adding mana and keeping track of your storm count. Because online, it does all of that for you instantly. Where on paper, mm-hmm. you have to go, hey, I'm casting Rite of Flame. I'm going from two red up to four red. Which, in my mind, I keep, I think of Rite of Flame as, like, two, four, seven, eleven. Because that's how the Rite of Flames add up if you play all four in a turn, where a lot of people try to do the math in between and things that's a like great that. Mind trick, just like keeping track of that. Yeah, same thing with Dark Ritual. It's uh, three, five, seven, nine, I believe, and they do so many like little things in between, like play with their dice and then go minus one plus this, and it ends up tripping them up, and they make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, I'll agree. So I played uh, Modern Storm for a while before before. Uh brawl was printed and i remember going from modo to playing in a local uh modern tournament and just how much more difficult it was uh because it it breaks your train of thought like you're trying to string this combo together in your head thinking okay i need to cast this draw spell and i hope x in order that i can continue the chain but if i don't hit x i can do this line of play instead and then meanwhile you're adding up dice it just uh it breaks your train of thought and leads you to down to make so many more mistakes yeah i agree I played that deck as well. Um, so so that's when I really know I'm in trouble when I'm playing against a Storm player in Legacy is when they don't break out dice. Uh, if you ever wanted to see me <laughs> quaking in my boots, uh, I played against uh, Feline Longmore on High Tide. And watching her uh, perform uh, just all the complicated math with High Tide keeping track of everything, 
Um, you know, that's when you know a player has mastered a deck when they don't even need dice or anything. They just know what what the storm count is, what you know, what mana floating is. So uh, sometimes I do it just because I bought the RK post storm counters, <laughs> and like I just want to use them. Yeah, you gotta show off the swag. <laughs> but uh, going back to Feline Lenmore, she actually did something really nice for me uh, two weeks ago in the Legacy Challenge. It was round one. I have, I believe, eight mana floating, and I'm in the middle of resolving an Infernal Tutor. And Moto made an update where whenever you search your deck, they give you a super tiny screen, and I accidentally clicked Cabal Therapy instead of Infernal Tutor. Oh, and I asked, noticed that. Yeah. Why did they do that? It's so annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely obnoxious. And I explained in the chat, I was like, hey, good games. I clicked on the wrong card. And they're like, what were you supposed to get? And I said, Infernal Tutor, because I was going to tutor chain, but I accidentally clicked the ball therapy, and she just conceded. It was very nice of her, and I ended up top-eating the event because of it. So I really do appreciate it. Wow, that is super awesome. Yeah, Feline's Feline's been around in the magic scene forever, playing High Tide, and also doing some sweet altars. Uh, so she is definitely a pillar of the community. We should have her on sometime, Pat. Yeah, definitely. Excellent magic player, for sure. Nice. Is Pat still here? Yeah, I'm, I know, right? Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying not to sniff. Like, I, my allergies have been fucking killing me this week, so try not to sniffle into the mic, sniffle into the mic as much. <laughs> you should uh, you should turn a snowblower on. It'll cover the sound of your sniffles. <laughs> uh, awesome. So, so I guess, um, you know, the big thing with Storm lately is the top ban, like we mentioned before. How big of a deal was that for playing the deck? Uh, I think within the first two moments that I found out, I, I typed fuck yes into Facebook, and I got a lot of likes. A lot of likes. Uh, I think people knew what I was talking about. Uh, but it's big because the control decks don't have a one-sided Chalice of the Void anymore. Like, Chalice of the Void has always been very bad for you, but it now turns those decks into fair matchups where, like, you get to actually play interactive magic, which sounds weird coming from the Storm player side, but... <laughs> those yeah. matches are actually like super interesting from the storm perspective because the games you don't just have a turn one it's a lot of haymakers back and forth yeah for sure uh so i mean counterbalance obviously just shut down the deck uh you know we saw some storm players were you know going up playing abrupt decays uh in their list in order to deal with counterbalance you know how much of it did it did it affect the list you know did you make a lot of changes or is it just you know list is still the same and you're just winning more matches Drastic change. Okay. So I don't even play green anymore. Some people still do. I cut the abrupt decays completely. Uh, my bounce spells are now echoing truths, so they deal with like everything in the format. Twenty twenty merit ages, chalice of the void, sphere resistance, uh, chancellor of the annex. Cards fantastic, but uh, some people are still on abrupt decay. Uh, I just don't think it's worthwhile. But the downside is you do lose Xanid swarm. Okay, so you have missed losing uh, Xanid swarm. Yeah, it was yeah. just very good at beating the show-and-tell decks, which uh, you might have noticed. Yes, I did. I do appreciate Xanus Swarm going away. <laughs> my, I, I much prefer Defense Grid, because I love it when my Storm player will spend their turn playing Defense Grid, and then I just go off the next turn. <laughs> yeah. It's like, thanks, I know you don't run any counter magic, but thanks for just a little bit more reassurance. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the Ad Nauseam Tendrils decks sometimes play Flusterstorm on the board, so watch out. Ooh, I'll keep an eye out for that. <laughs> I actually lost my uh, round 14 at Vegas, or round 13 at Vegas, to Ross Merriam because he caught me with a Flusterstorm. I just, like, had a turn one win, went for it, and shoved my face into a Flusterstorm. Did not feel good. Yeah, not at all. 
Um, I think I actually had a storm player stifle my fluster storm one time. <laughs> <They're just laughs> That's like, interesting. Yeah, they're like just the extra sideboard spice. It's like I saw you had fluster storm game two, so I brought in stifle game three. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was an experience. <laughs> <laughs> so so other th- so you cut green. Um, so what are you? So you're running echoing truth instead of abrupt decay. Uh, what's over Xanted Swarm? Uh, well, since the printing or banning of uh, Top, Black Red Reanimator has been just about everywhere, so I've been running some number of Surgical Extraction. Okay. And uh, that's it. And I've really just like expanded the number of wish slots on my board. So I'm playing how many? I'm going to count really quick. In the current list that I have built, I'm playing nine wish targets, mm. where before it was probably five or six. So what are you what are you sniping with your burning wishes? Uh, can you what are some spicy uh, wish targets? So I'll go through the nine that I'm playing, and then the ones that I have in my uh, like extras that are still being used. So I the first one's Thoughtseize, Grape Shot, Pyroclasm, Empty the Warns, Pest and Flames, Tundras of Agony, Massacre, Dark Petition, and the best one, Talman Performance. <laughs> and uh, I've been toying around with a card from Hour of Devastation, Consign Oblivion, because it's a card you can Burning Wish for, but then cast as an instant, because Oblivion is a sorcery and Consign is an instant, so it actually bounces an end step Merit Lage, or a Chalice Up for one, or uh, what's it called? Chancellor of the Annex? Is, uh, is that the reprint of the old blue card? I'm trying to remember what it does. Is it like y- it you bounces set aside... A permanent? Oh, it bounces the non-land permanent. Um, and then Oblivion is target player discards two cards. Ah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, and then uh, other cards that I sometimes play are Void Snare, Meltdown, Cabal Therapy, Defense Grid. I guess that's not a wish target, but it's in my list of stuff. Nice. I was thinking there's another new card that, so, uh, a little bit of a backstory. <laughs> we were challenged by our listeners to play Doomsday in a, uh, a league. My condolences. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm still mourning it. Uh, but I came across a new card uh, that uh, is is pretty interesting. It's a reprint of an older blue card that I'm blanking. I'm pulling up the deck list of Magic Online right now to remember it, but it's like set aside the top three cards of your library. Three you wishes? Play... Yes, three wishes. So they made like a red reprint of three r- wishes. Uh, um, Act on Impulse? Yes, I believe that's the name. It has Chandra's face on it? Yes, if Magic Online would load quickly. Have you played Magic Online? <laughs> Act on Impulse, <laughs> two in a red for a sorcery. Exile the top three cards of your library until end of turn. You may play cards. Ag- nice. Cool. Yes. Can we uh, go off on a bit of a tangent here? Sure. Yeah. It is currently the year 2017. You want to know what Magic Online doesn't have? <laughs> what? Uh, an interface for Mac. Yeah, it is ridiculous. <laughs> like Mac users are like twenty five percent of the market share, and Wizards of the Coast just pretends they don't exist, like yeah. they're gremlins. <laughs> and uh, they really need to work on that. I understand that like they're having enough troubles with PC because their system is terrible, but come on, like make it terrible for both platforms. Uh, another tangent, real quickly, since Jerry, since you were on the the uh, what was it, the investors the, calling the investors call for. For Hasbro, the latest investors call um, they, yes. when they talked about uh, well, what's the new program they have going on now? Um, uh, uh, Digital Next? No, it's Pla- it's Planeswalker oh, uh, Arena, right? Arena. 
Yeah. Yes, which is super confusing because that's the name of the magic board game. Right. So, so if you try Google searching for it, you come up with a bunch of really bad board games. So the, I haven't uh, heard of this. Yeah, the next digital iteration of... It's not really Magic Online. I think it's really replacing... Uh, it's replacing Duels of the Planeswalkers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have non-Magic coworkers that play that. Like They just have Duels of the Planeswalkers on their phone and they play. And they've never played a game of Magic before in their life. Like the, uh, the Gemstone one? Because I played that and I wasn't a huge fan of it. He says that he's played uh, Duels of the Planeswalker since the first one. He just downloads the app every time there's a new one. Oh, okay. So he's probably playing the app. Because they have, like, another one, too. It's, like, it's like a Puzzle Quest one. And I don't really like that one as much. But the actual Duels of the Planeswalkers game is pretty decent, all things considered. I've never played. Yeah. I remember buying one so I could get the scavenging news and then selling it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the promotion, I remember that. Basically, it's like playing Magic if you are only ever allowed to play pre-constructed starter decks. Yeah, I mean, you can, like, you can grind and, like, unlock cards, but it's a real pain in the ass. I think yeah, you probably yeah. also pay for them, but I'm not paying for duels ever. I, it's hard enough for me to pay for Magic Online. Play three hours, gain a craw worm. Right, nice. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Exactly <laughs> and you're right. pumped, because that craw worm, you needed that for your green deck. And you only get one, you don't even get a playset, you get one. It's like, good luck get a playset, buddy. <laughs> Well, uh, back like, when I was learning to play, I thought there was no limit on the number of cards you could play. Mm-hmm. So I was like really upset when I found out you could only play four Llanowar Elf. <laughs> so I had to go and like buy four Finhorn Elf. And I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, this one's way more expensive. Uh, they both do the same things. This one's way cheaper. Why can't I just use more of this one, guys? <laughs> exactly. Like, Llanowar Elves are everywhere. But like at the time, finding Finhorn Elves is very difficult. It's like when you first start playing Kitchen Table Magic and you, you like, get your original Anwar Elf, you tap it for green and you search your library for a force and put it into play. <laughs> well, uh, I don't, I can't think of the name of it, but it's from, I, I want to say Ice Age, and it's, like, seven and a green for a 7-6 worm with no abilities. When I first started, I thought it cost the green and it lived for seven turns. I was like, this card has to be worth a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scaled Worm? Is that what it is? Scaled Worm? It might be. Uh... And I thought that, uh, like, one of the first rares I owned was Ivy Elemental from Odyssey. Mm-hmm. So it's X and a green, and then it's just an XX creature with X counters on it. I thought you could play it on turn one as a zero zero, and then dump mana into it every turn. <laughs> so, like, after a while, like, my friends were just like, this card is not fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that would be that would be an awesome card. <laughs> just free mana sink in this card. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. So, have you ever dipped your toes into the Doomsday water? So, I've tried to play Doomsday in my deck. The issue is, in order to support Doomsday, you have to play a bunch of really shitty cards, like uh, (laughs) Ideas Unbound. Like, I never want to draw that card ever unless I'm actually casting Doomsday. And I don't want to have to play cards that aren't good to support Doomsday. Like, I'd actually like to play Doomsday, believe it or not, because it's a storm engine that gets around... Gattic And that's like a real thing. Uh, huh? But I don't want to have to... Like, my deck is very streamlined and linear, and I don't want to have to cut, like, my fourth ponder to play a suboptimal card. Mm-hmm. I'm going to link you a picture of the deck, because I have no idea how to play Doomsday. I barely know how to play Storm. <laughs> and we have to perform, so I'm hoping, Brian, that you can, you can shed some of your, your Storm... Uh, skill off on us and and point us in the right direction. I'm trying to load this image right now. One sec. So, so yes, this does look like a pile. 
<laughs> Excellent. That was the gold. Uh, yeah, so there's a guy that plays Doomsday exclusively online. His real name is uh, Albert, and uh, he goes by Gold Rook, I believe. And I faced him uh, twice after the banning of Top, and he's beaten me because he added silences, which like gives me a little bit of a taste of my own medicine because like I used to be that guy six years ago playing eight silences in my deck. <laughs> Orem's Chant Silence, love it. <laughs> uh, the Grand Prix that I top a million years ago, I made top eight because I Orem's Chant with Kicker, a sneak attack player, when he put Emrakul into play. Oh, God, that's brutal. <laughs> I'm actually surprised more players don't just run Orem's Chant. Like, I see people running the Silence. I know it's not strictly better, but I just feel Orem's Chant will, is, is better more often than Silence. But well, Silence, silence is, gets around Leyline of Sanctity, which is huge. Yeah, because it doesn't target, that is pretty good. Yeah, I can see that. So the Leyline's a big big one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, like, I'm looking at this do- uh, Doomsday list, and I mean, it looks like a Doomsday list. Uh, <laughs> let's, although let's it doesn't because I don't think anyone... in it. I don't know if uh, you noticed that. I know. We're waiting on the Doomsdays and also the Lion's Eye Diamonds. Those are the cards that are missing. Okay. Um, so reading it off for our, our listeners, we got four Flooded Strand, four Polluted Delta, one Island, one Swamp, one Scrubland, one Tundra, three Underground Sea, two Volcanic Islands, uh, four Lotus Petal. So it's got 21 sources of mana, which is, based on what you were saying about Storm, uh, you know, pretty high for a uh, for a combo deck like this. Actually, it's... Uh, 24, uh, 25 if you count the Lion's Eye Diamonds. Well, I mean, that's pretty comparable. Like, I run 13 land and then 11 zero-mana artifacts. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's like one or two more. Yeah, so this deck's basically running a few more lands in, uh, over the extra artifacts. So, uh, the issue I have with Doomsday is that it's slower than Ad Nauseam Tendrils, but I don't think you really gain anything. Like, mm-hmm. you're supposed to, like, Ad Nauseam Tendrils is good because... It, it's really good at grinding blue decks, but I don't feel like Doomsday gains that. So, like, what's the advantage of playing it aside from the fact that like you look smart to a bunch of other nerds? <laughs> I mean, I think that's the only reason to play Doomsday is you look smart. <laughs> I mean, teach their own, right? Exactly. Well, the reason why I agreed to this ridiculous challenge is because in the sideboard, it's running a card after my own heart. It side sides into the monastery mentor plan. And its goal is to just play a bunch of spells, make a bunch of tokens. That is a thing people can do. <laughs> Not a fan, I can tell. Uh, I mean, I've tried it. It's just like, if I were ever to go back to playing Goldlands, I would definitely play it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have Japanese for all young pyromancers, because I'm like, maybe one day I'll play them in my sideboard. Yeah, that day never comes. No. <laughs> the problem is, like, the tokens from young pyromancer die to the same heat as the tokens for Empty the Warrens. So, like... You're not really doing yourself any favors. Right, if they're boarding in, uh, like, uh, what's... Uh, Toxic Deluge, Golgari Charm. Something. I'm thinking of the uh, the Black Enchantment for four. Your opponent's creatures get minus one. Knight of Souls, Knight of Souls Betrayal. Betrayal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a fun one to bring in. I sold a foil one of those not too long ago. I had it left over from, EDD, from an EDH deck, like, five years ago. It was, like, 60 bucks. Yeah, that card is good. Uh, especially in this true name Nemesis meta. Yeah. Seems like all these creatures have uh, one toughness. I love true name Nemesis. Yeah? Yeah, That's... every time my opponent casts it, I'm stoked. <laughs> that is true. I mean, <laughs> it's coming down on turn three, and they're if they're tapping out for it as a Storm player, you're pretty happy about that. So that means one of two things. 
their hand is absolutely stacked and they don't fear you, or they are dead. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect. So, do you want to go back to your Doomsday list? Yeah, let's go back to the Doomsday. So, finishing off the list, we got three Silence, uh, four Gataxian Probe, four Brainstorm, four Ponder, uh, two Preordain, uh, three Cabal Therapy, four Jared, Dark do, Ritual. Do you have three foil Cabal Therapies and the rest of the deck is non-foil? Yeah. <laughs> Even. Don't Jeez. judge me. <laughs> and one foil Cabal Therapy in the sideboard. <laughs> Uh, when I got the Cabal Therapies, they were like a million dollars, but the foil ones were like half the price. <laughs> uh, that's that's somewhat forgivable then, I guess. Uh, four Dark Ritual, two Duress, one Reign of Filth, which for those who don't know, it's an instant for one black. Until in a turn, lands you control, gain, sacrifice this land to add black to your mana pool. Uh, and then, of course, uh, three of the namesake, Doomsday. Uh, then it's got three Burning Wish... And then for a, another win condition, it's running Laboratory Maniac, which is three for a 2-2. Two, two. Uh, if you would draw a card while your library has no cards in it, you win the game instead. And it's uh, it's a blue creature, so two and a blue, I should say. And then the Spice, three wishes, one blue-blue for an instant. Exile the top three cards of your library face down. Uh, you may look at those cards for as long as they remain exiled. Until your next turn, you may play those cards. At the beginning of your next upkeep, put the, any of those cards that you didn't play into your graveyard. That card's a mouthful. Yeah, this deck is going to be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to play this deck at all. Bad. I was actually starting to doze off. I was so sick of listening to it. <laughs> I shouldn't have mentioned it. Oh, man. I mean, I, I was I was all set to move on, and you dragged me back in. <laughs> I got really um, I, confused about the planes in the sideboard, and then I don't know what I, I just said something stupid. <laughs> uh, my plan to make this deck interesting when we do stream it, Pat, is uh, every time we lose a game, uh, we have to take a shot. Um, okay, sure. <laughs> I just imagine the scenario where you want to cast Doomsday, where you're stuck with basic planes and basic <laughs> island. Well, you also play two volcanic islands, like nice triple black card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be terrible. If they surgical our dark rituals, we're just fucked. Like, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have one rain of filth. <laughs> yeah, like we're we're not casting doomsday in the doomsday deck if they surgical our dark rituals. <laughs> well, the older list used to play cabal ritual, which your list isn't playing. Yeah, I copied this off of uh, some random Japanese top eight tournament. Okay. So, hey, I've got a gold rooks list. Yeah, is he? Yeah, a uh, he's not. I wouldn't say he's well known, but he plays a lot of moto and he's got a couple of five O's. Yeah. All right. I'll have to check that out. See if we can. Uh, Cause I, I think I bet Celso something. So if I lose this, there's, there's like shame and honor on the line. I think so. you have to uh, forego your spot in the cast here, and I think Celso gets it then. Uh, <laughs> I he has to pry it out of my cold dead hand. <laughs> Um, all right, do we want to get into the Facebook questions? Because we have a bunch of questions today. Yeah. Let's um, do it. Got? All right, awesome. So <laughs> the first one from Anthony uh, was, what comes after 10? And Lawrence uh, uh, replied, 20 goblins. But I guess we can ask Bryant, what comes <laughs> after 10? <laughs> Lawrence was very close to the correct answer. It's 20 and then grape shot. <laughs> <laughs> the extra rubbins. <laughs> um, Tom Smiley, one of our local players, did ask... Um, with him being, I know so, Tom. Okay, yeah. So with it, with you being so known for uh, for TES, what would it take for you to stop playing it? 
So I've thought about this a lot, actually. Like, let's say they banned Lion's Eye Diamond. I think the deck just becomes like an Empty the Worms base deck that's like heavily based on Cabal Therapies, or let's say uh, they print another card that just like oppresses TES like Mental Misstep did. I'd probably uh, consider not playing it. But mm-hmm. I've played I've played non-TES uh, in a bunch of large events. Like, I've played Rugdalber in two or three uh, Star City Opens, believe it or not. Um, I don't know. I it's mean, tough. It's TES is like my child... Right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it just got a huge buff with Miracles exiting the format, so why, why put it down now? Yeah, it's actually, like, really well favored, or positioned at the moment. Yeah, so we've been talking about that, how the paper meta hasn't reflected it as much, but the Magic Online meta seems to be very dominated by uh, just Storm in general. But now I'm just thinking it's because you just play so much, you're <laughs> skewing the numbers. <laughs> I wish it was me. It's a guy, uh, Surfing Bird. He, uh, he's, like, a guy from Russia who just plays, like, all day. Like, I have a full-time job. I can't play that much. Which sounds ridiculous, considering I have a thousand matches since the day of the <laughs> But I'm pretty sure he has more than double I do. Wow. Surfing Bird 19 plays a lot of Ant. All right, keep that but, in uh, mind, yeah, people. Storm is, like, uh, the second most played deck, according to, like, match results. Yeah. And, I mean, it just put up two uh, two players in, what was it, the SCG last week? Two weeks ago? Mo- that was Modern, right? No, for Legacy. Um... Bat, we talked about it, what, two episodes ago? Uh, was it the SCG? Was it the team event? Because there was, like, three lands in Top 8. Uh, I'm not sure, but there was a recent event where Top 8 had two Storm decks in it. Was um, it the Legacy Challenge? Because that yeah. was myself and uh, Mo- Monkeys Don't Cry? Oh, um, what, no, it was the Classic. It was the, uh, the Classic in Atlanta. Was, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, Storm came in 7th, and uh, the Epic Storm came in 8th. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Caleb Schur and Tyler Hatchell, respectively. Cool. So, do you feel uh, Storm's dominating? Are you at all worried that you know Wizards might turn its eye towards Storm as you know a possible ban target if it gets too out of hand? Uh, well, if you look at like online results at the moment, Storm isn't even in their scope, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because it's uh, Grixis Delver and then uh, Four Color Control, which I call it because I don't like the other name, Chuck Pile. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those two are putting up way more results than Storm is, so it's hard to look at Storm when Deathrite Shaman is like in 40% of winning lists. That's a good point, Pat. <laughs> don't get me wrong, I don't think Deathrite Shaman should be banned. Thank you. I think it's Brainstorm level good. I think the only reason to ban it would be the amount of numbers it's putting up, but I don't even agree with that. Yeah, I think I think if we, we, can talk, we can delve into it a little longer, but Zach Cook had an awesome episode of his uh, podcast, Legacies of Lore, a few weeks ago, talking about Deathrite Shaman and, and how it is super prevalent right now, but it also is like one of the things that I think uh, glues the format together, um, kind of in, in support with Wasteland and Force of Will. Uh, it's one of those cards that like can be annoying and is, is very powerful, but it, without it, uh, the format might be a little bit more degenerate and a little bit less fun. I think right now it's in a really good spot, personally. My, uh, Everyone listening, listen to my podcast with Zach. It's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> not at all medium. That's also on your landing page for, for uh, theepicstorm.com as well, right? Yeah, you get to see how bright my computer monitors shine off a huge forehead. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can definitely turn on the... That, that is a setting you can adjust, Brian. Just to... <laughs> Oh, is it? Thank you for telling me now. Uh... Real quick, I will say my opinion of Deathrite Shaman is directly correlated to how recently I have lost to it. I don't understand how you lose to Deathrite Shaman as a sneak control player, Joe. You were doing something horribly wrong. No, happens all the fucking time because they just land a turn one Deathrite Shaman against these, like, check pile decks. 
and you just go back and forth with them uh, just countering or making you discard your combo pieces and you trying to desperately reassemble your combo pieces mm-hmm. and the entire time Deathrite Shaman is just chipping you for two. You, so you, here's the you. thing, and you can choose to disagree with me, but you would be wrong. Is, <laughs> uh, recently, a lot of the Grixis and uh, four-color control decks and even some other decks online, they're cutting counter spells and they're going very heavy on discard. Like Hindutarok. Yes is seeing a lot more play right now than it's, almost anything else. It's so annoying, because discard is way worse for Sneak and Show than counter magic. Like, oh, I can deal with for counter Storm. magic. Yeah, yeah. Like dis- if you want to mess up a, a combo player, don't fill your deck with counter spells, fill your deck with discard, because it's mm-hmm. proactive, and you're actively putting them on the back foot, rather than waiting for them to storm off in your face, or Sneak and Show in your face, and hope you have enough answers to stop them. <laughs> sneak and Show in your face. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we keep those videos in the back. <laughs> what is this, a blockbuster? It is the last blockbuster. <laughs> um, do we get to Anthony, Anthony's other question about um, the, do, why do you feel the deck has taken over the format? Or why do you, ha- why do you think the deck hasn't taken over the format? It has or hasn't? Yeah, well, he, why do you feel the deck has, I guess, not <laughs> taken over the format? As many Anthony, Maryland gotta, players wanted you to believe us. Bro, Anthony, you got to cut down on these double negatives in your yeah. sentence. Yeah, so <laughs> well, I, guess, I guess what he's asking is, you know, post-ban, a lot of Miracles players said, oh, well, enjoy your new, you know, Storm Overlords, and that hasn't happened, and why, I guess why do you think that is? Well, my matchup against Grixis Delver is, according to my spreadsheet, I'm at 51%, which is, you know, a coin flip, uh, because, like, there are police decks in the format. Like, Grixis Delver is a police deck, mm-hmm. and a lot of Miracles players got very comfortable with a one-sided Chalice of the Void, which, you know, like, if I was in their position, I would be afraid, too. Like, you just lost your, like, one-sided Chalice, but mm-hmm. even the Miracles deck has game. Like, mm-hmm. game one, you might not be favored, but post-board siding into three Aethershorn Cannonists... You're probably favored then. And Storm is a completely beatable deck if you want to dedicate the slots to it. If you don't, you will lose. But if you dedicate slots, you will see you're you're going to win more games. Like, excuse me, uh, my win con- or my win percentage over the last few weeks online is only about like 64, 65%, which is pretty average. So online, there's a lot more Storm hate than there is in paper. My win percentage in paper is much higher. Yeah, I have noticed that. Uh, I don't know if it's just the paper meta hasn't caught up yet, or the paper meta is its own beast, and you know people play what they want to play. Um, but I I have not seen the same level of turnout at the local scene of Storm players. Um, I think part of that is that Storm is played a lot more online. Like the people that love Storm all play online, and when you go to a large event like a Grand Prix, Storm is like less than two percent of the field. Yeah, but it has great conversion numbers because the way I feel is the best Storm players play online because, you know, like you've demonstrated, online is where you can get those reps in. And that it's like almost a self-fulfilling prophecy in that you get more reps in, you get better with the deck, you get better with the deck, you're playing more of the deck. You just you can't do that in the same extent just going to even if you're lucky enough to have like FNMs every week like we are, um, even just playing the deck once a week almost isn't enough practice for it. I'm pretty lucky. My local scene has two legacy events a week. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're we're definitely really fortunate up here in New England. You know, we I think we I can we can go to events like four or five nights a week here. But you know, if you're in the middle of Missouri and you want to pick up Storm, um, Magic Online is pretty much your only your only route. Is that a dagger at Caleb? <laughs> no, I didn't even know Caleb lives in Missouri. Sorry, <laughs> by no intentions. <laughs> wow. I did not make that joke, Caleb. I would like to point that out. 
<laughs> that was all Jerry. Attack him. Uh, I just, I just like routinely, accidentally offend Missouri people. What's, what's the plural of Missourites? Is that how we say it? Missourians. <laughs> Missourians. <Yeah. laughs> no ill intent. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so so you see these storm players online, and then they all kind of. Do you guys have like a secret cabal ritual before uh, the GP? Do y'all meet up and? You I know, see meet... what you did there. <laughs> it's punny. Picking up with Delane down. <laughs> uh, well, there's two Facebook groups. There's one for the Epic Storm, and there's one for Ant, and they both get a lot of traffic. Uh, I post in the TS one all the time. Like I posted about a card signing uh, that I'm doing just yesterday. Uh, I post like small updates to my decklist in there where I don't post small updates on the site all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I really only do major updates on the website. So like the Facebook groups are like the best place to get your storm knowledge, in my opinion. Awesome. And speaking of that, you are also very famous uh, in the you know storm and legacy community for just having a beautiful deck. Uh, you want to get into that a little bit? Uh, thank you. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what there is to say. So, like, I've been playing my deck for over 10 years, and when I started playing my deck, a lot of this stuff was a lot cheaper. So I got my Japanese Lion's Eye Diamonds for $20 each. Jeez. They're roughly 200 now. My first uh, two Underground Seas, I got for 80 and $90. They're eight or $900 now. So, like, it's just that I've been playing a long time. I am not a rich kid. I have, like, $60,000 in student loan debt, which I should probably <laughs> just sell my deck and pay. No, uh, that's that's why I don't, you know, insure my cards, because then I'll know how much they cost and how much I can sell them to pay down my student debt. <laughs> well, I have a student or a spreadsheet for everything, so, like, I know what my entire collection is exactly worth. Uh, you, lo- you love your spreadsheets I'm picking up. <laughs> I do. I do, um, indeed. But, uh, yeah, so my deck is just a labor of love. Uh, I have it almost all signed. So, like, right now it's Japanese foil signed. The only things I still need to get signed are my Gitaxian probes by Chippy, but he pretty much doesn't exist. <laughs> he was made up. A Gitaxian probe was actually a computer algorithm. It was an experiment to have computers express emotion. Uh, Chippy does not actually exist. <laughs> Correct. Uh, so his real name is Brian Dugan which is also the name of a serial killer, by the way. (laughs) I wish I was joking. Completely unrelated. Or is uh, it? (laughs) The guy just, like, dropped off the map. He was living in Canada for a while, moved to Australia, and then moved from there, and, like, no one's been able to track him. So, like, he doesn't have a web presence at all. Uh, Like, magic card agents have tried to get in contact with him and have failed, like, I don't even know if Wizards could if they wanted to there's at this so, point. There's so many ones of dollars waiting for him to sign cards. What is he, what's wrong <laughs> Honestly, with Honestly, I would pay him like $50 per Gitaxian probe <laughs> right now. Uh, Watchy, Watchy like doesn't even know it because I can just imagine, you know, you're a young artist. You do a commission for some game you've never heard of. You submit the artwork and then you're like, I want to travel the world. And you end up in like Tibet <laughs> or someplace. I'm pretty sure he's an older guy if I had to place my bets. Okay. I, I, but yeah, he's uh, the last signatures I need. Huh. So if any of you have information on Chippy and don't share with me, I will find you. <laughs> uh, all right, so so getting back to the Facebook questions, uh, Larry asks, uh, I'm assuming this is an inside joke here, but he wanted to know, how's your 12 post matchup? And then he put in parentheses, Tales from SCG Philly. I don't know if... Uh, uh, I remember facing Larry, and I remember him beating me. 
I have a pretty good 12-post matchup, but <laughs> from what I remember is he like had a top-in-play, and I went off like three turns in a row, mm-hmm. and the top cards of his deck all three times were counterspells. Oh. <laughs> and that he was all the Primeval Titan, and I slouched in my chair. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> womp, womp. Uh, <laughs> it'd be tapping. Uh, when you play this much magic, like sometimes you just chalk it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is variance in the game, right? Yeah. That's what it is. Um, Adam did ask, uh, is this finally how Pat and Jerry learn the difference between Ant and, and TES? Um, I, I would say yes, actually. The way you broke it down where look for these cards, like, clicked for me. Because yeah. I've I've always, like, if someone asked me to explain the decks, I wouldn't have been able to tell them the difference between the decks. Agreed. Uh, if you want an even deeper understanding of that, if you go to the website and then in the FAQ section, the very first thing is Ant versus TES and a bunch of resource links. Click them. Okay. <laughs> Do awesome. some homework. Awesome. Um, all right, let's see. What else? Oh, uh, wait, nope. Don't skip the most important part of his question. <laughs> all right, so last week, I don't want to waste his time with these questions. <laughs> don't explain it. Just say it. Brian, yes or no, hot dogs are sandwiches. I have no opinion, but <laughs> I do have an opinion on something else. I have a coworker that pours his milk before his cereal, and what? that is wrong. That is, how do you? That is what? absolutely wrong. You, that doesn't make if any you sense. You pour your milk before your cereal. Do not come up to me at events. I do not want to talk to you. And you just make a little raft. Like I'm thinking, like a, like Lucky Charms. It's almost like you just have like a. Oh, this thing is my milk or my cereal doesn't get soggy. Well, are you taking 45 minutes to eat your cereal? Like, I don't understand. Like, just eat it, and then pour more milk in, and then eat more cereal. Oh, man. That's something a serial killer would do. Like, you realize that, right? Like, who does Meanwhile, people are arguing about if a hot dog is a sandwich, which is irrelevant. <laughs> There's monsters out there that pour their milk first. Oh, man. Oh, good. Um... <laughs> Ryan O'Loughlin asks, uh, what attracts you to signed cards and Japanese foils, and have you managed to complete your deck on both? We kind of already went over that real quickly, but... Uh, well, I want to know what, what led you down this path. Like, did, was it a moment where it just clicked, and you're like, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try and just finish the deck out. Well, when I was really young, a lot of the better players in my area all liked Japanese cards. Uh, was, they were just highly desirable. They were, worth, they were worth more money at the time. They're still worth a little bit more, but not as much as they were back then. And uh, at the time, Korean was more rare, but Japanese was worth worth more. And the thing about with Korean is you can't actually Korean out a deck because they stopped printing Korean cards for five or six years. Mm-hmm. And as a graphic designer, that would drive me insane that your aesthetic is broken up. So my deck is entirely Japanese other than the dual lands, which are German. Right. I suppose I could German it all, but Japanese just looks nicer. Yeah. I, I agree uh, on the Japanese cards. I personally have my, my Delver deck in almost completely yeah, that. they're great. And... I'm a goldfish. I like shiny things. And uh, I'm a huge baseball fan, and I've always liked signed baseballs and signed baseball cards, so makes sense why I w- would like them in Magic. Nice. nice. All right, yeah, that ties a nice little bow on it. All right. Um, Marcus did ask, um, so how long in the deck creation process did it take before you felt like the deck was good enough uh, to take the tournaments, and were you good enough uh, at that point to play it? In the- so, like, let's uh, talk about the last thing first. Like, let's say seven years ago... It- You'd ask me, like, hey, do you think you're good? I'd be like, eh, I'm better than the average bear. But looking back on it, I'm better now than I was then. I was terrible then. And I feel like you can always be improving. So, like, it's tough because I played TES in my first big event, like, six months after it was really a 
a real deck with after it cut all the creatures and was playing Red Flame, and I won my first big event with it. It was called the the Mana Leak Open, run by uh, Ray Robiliard in Connecticut. It was a playoff of the Mana Drain Opens, which were very big for Vintage. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, nice. I don't know. And then I found twenty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the moral of the story is you're never good enough. Always reach for the moon, kids. If you fall, you'll land among the stars. <laughs> Right, Pat? Yeah, sure. Um, that was your, that's your cue. Okay. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Oh, so Jason is another one of our local players. Uh, he was curious about your show-and-tell matchup, and what do you guys hate seeing brought in against you uh, by show-and-tell player? Uh, so I hate giving advice like this because it's not good for me, <laughs> but I'll do right, this because I'm on your you. podcast. <laughs> Otherwise, they could go stick their head in sand. <laughs> but, uh, I don't like seeing Leyline of Sanctity because it requires me to board in Echoing Truth, and I'd just rather would not have to take that extra step to beat you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I want to. What about things like Echoing Truth? I'm always wondering, you know, is it worth it to bring in the hate card that only answers Empty the Warrens if he's just going to tendrils my face instead? I is love it- Gitaxian probing and seeing that my opponent has an answer to Empty the Warrens in their hand. Because it means they don't have a real magic card in their hand. <laughs> and, uh, like, something that doesn't interact with me now doesn't matter. Because, like, by the time I cast Empty the Warrens, I'm going to flashback Cabal Therapy or just cast Ad Nauseam into Tendrils. So that's my answer, okay. I guess. Um, Words. He, he also wants to know why you haven't, like, why you stay with, uh, with TES over, say, playing Ant when Ant may be considered, like, a stronger deck. So well, I think if you view... Yeah, if you view my last article on uh, Storm Data Comparison, you'll see that across the board, including blue decks, uh, the Epic Storm, since top, uh, according to the data that I have from the other Ant player, has a higher percentage. Like, I'm 2% higher against blue decks, Mm -hmm. and then against non-blue decks and Chalice decks, my win percentage is much higher. So, like, even if uh, there's a, let's say, because it's only a couple uh, Ant lists that, I'm comparing data to. Mm-hmm. So let's say they're playing the two past in flame, super grindy. I'm going to crush blue list. They're only going to gain a couple percentage points in which TS is still in the same ballpark, mm-hmm. meaning it's comparable to blue decks, but much better against everything else. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm not playing it. Okay. Um, Drop the mic. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm sure it's a question you must get quite often, right? Like people must ask you all that about that all the time. Yeah. And like, there's this like, self-perpetuating uh, thing where, like, more people play Ant. Ant puts up more numbers. So, like, people think, oh, this deck has more results and must be better. Yeah, okay. TS is actually, like, a little harder to play, which also scares some people away, and then they get stuck playing Ant. Okay. Um, Matthew asks, uh, so Caleb Schur has been on, has been testing an Ant build on Magic Island with some black-white, I'm assuming? Um, no, it's uh, Burning Wish. Oh, Burning Wish, okay. All right. I guess pull these things out for me, Matt. Come on. Um, so, what do you think about what do you think about that approach there? So, uh, that's actually a writer for my website's list, and uh, his name is Jasper. He's been testing it the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Got to stop saying us uh, so much. <laughs> it's fine. The mm-hmm. problem with Burning Wish and Cabal Ritual is that all of your best targets are also red. So, empty the warns, past in flames, and I'll pretend that grape shot isn't relevant. Uh, there we go again. So. Without Red of Flame, you don't have double red to cast Past in Flames or Empty the Warns, and you end up not being able to do as much. So you end up with a bunch of 
not great options when you're filling your deck full of black rituals and then a red card that gets not a red card. Mm-hmm. So, like, Red of Flame is really the glue that holds Burning Wish together, and without Red of Flame, Burning Wish almost isn't worth it. So, so you're not running any Burning Wish in your list? Me? Yeah. For Ant or TES? Oh, I'm sorry. I, there I am getting confused again. No, I... <laughs> so Ant doesn't run... Yeah, uh, no, I, 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 I thought we were talking about Tess. Don't, don't mind me. I'm, I'm going to go in the barn. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> they have barns in New England? <laughs> we do. We have so many barns. <laughs> they're rustic. They're in not, New York, I know. They're not in use. Like, they've been interior decorated. but <laughs> they're, used for, they're used for rustic weddings now, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I have many weddings in my rustic barn. <laughs> um, all right, let's see if we can find another good one here. We had some questions about what uh, Skylar asked. What sideboard hate plans cause the most trouble? Uh, I don't know if we I want mean, to go over that. I mean, there's there's so many. Yeah. I assume there's different things from every at, at every. Counter spells discard. Yeah. Permanent. It's like Chalice of the Void. I don't know. The, I feel like it's almost common knowledge at this point. Um, Josh Lucas asked you to describe your action when you found out Sensei's top was banned. <laughs> uh, fuck yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's see. Uh, Mark asked for a primer on Doomsday, but we got kind of already talked about that a little bit. <laughs> I throw you, I threw you your bone, Mark. <laughs> and Ian, Ian asked if we can stop talking about Doomsday finally. <laughs> oh, thank you, Ian. <laughs> um, he, he, Ian does also ask uh, without Sensei's top, is there one like quote unquote best version of Storm now? They're comparable. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say either is better than the other. They're just different flavors based on your metagame. Mm-hmm. But I build all of my deck lists for large metagames because I play online in big events. I don't even metagame for my locals. I keep my deck list the same, so that's that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Steve Slocum. <laughs> Some of these questions are like, I think people are just trying to dagger us. How does it feel to have a chalice on one and then, a, then zero followed by a trade here? I mean, yeah. probably bad, right? <laughs> How does it feel to have Hercules recall resolved against you? How does it feel to have herpes? Like, come on, guys. <laughs> well, you can climb mountains then. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I'm sensing a lot of uh, a lot of storm aid. I, I think we have some salty, salty yeah, uh, maybe. opponents. <laughs> Steve plays in my locals. Oh, nice. Um, so William Moore, so he did, he also asked about effective sideboard cards, but I think the other one that he said that I think is probably more interesting are overrated sideboard cards that people bring in against you. So you mentioned Echoing Truth being not that great against, just because it only answers... Graftigger's Cage. Yep, Graftigger's Cage is not good against Tess. Uh, Rest sorry, in TES. Peace. Okay. People try Basically to like, down, like the, the Pass and Flames, yeah. Yeah. Like, I only use Pass and Flames like 8 to 10% of the time, so it actually doesn't get that much use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, just... like, you can always hedge for it. Like, it does stop Cabal Therapy, which sees a little bit more play out of my deck, like mm-hmm. the flashback. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um... Uh, people like Deathrite Shaman, they value it a little highly. Like, it's obviously still good, but it's not as good as some people think it is against me. Yeah. What are cards you see that people, like, leave in where you're just like, what were you thinking? That should have been boarded out. Like, not necessarily sideboard cards, but, like, dead main deck cards. So, like, people will leave in Swords to Plowshares, Furying Xanad Swarm, and I'm just like, oh, your hand is now a mulligan to five or whatever. Because mm-hmm. uh, at that point, they're better off keeping in things like Terminus to deal with a horde of goblins rather than worrying about Xanad Swarm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about, like, Abrupt Decay? I feel that's something people will leave in, not realizing. So, Abrupt Decay is interesting because, like, a good Storm player is never going to play their Lion's Eye Diamond before their Infernal... Or, like, you play Lion's Eye Diamond... 
and then you still have priority. You play Infernal Tutor, they never get an opportunity to break their lines at Diamond. But Abrupt Decay being block is sometimes the Storm player feels forced to play out their lines at Diamond because they don't want it to be discard, and then you can hit it with Abrupt Decay. Mm-hmm. So like it's, I'd say bad 80% of the time, 20% of the time, it's a sure you got me. Okay. Uh, any other cards that uh you're just you just see that people just make mistakes with? Mm, not really, because okay. right now lightning bolt is seeing a lot more play and bolt is still direct damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know words. Let's see. <laughs> um, so uh, we have Stephen asked another question about Doomsday. We're not even gonna read the question because I don't want to hear it. Uh, <laughs> Jesse Jesse does um he's he writes uh I've also recently converted from Ant to Tes. Because he feels it's miles better in the meta right now, and I'm curious how you feel about a braid. Card has been very good in the board for me, but my local meta is very death and taxes and chalice heavy. And you mentioned being extremely favored against death and taxes anyway. Correct. So maybe it's not worth diluting the sideboard for that. But if you find that it's chalice heavy, how do you feel about that, like that call for the meta game? Against both decks, I'd rather have Echoing Truth, and that's the problem. With playing a Burning Wish sideboard, you only have so many sideboard slots, mm-hmm. and Echoing Truth just is better across the board. Okay. Okay. That's That makes sense. Um, Killian Minton, does, do you know that a better Goblins deck exists? Oh, you already answered. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Joey asks, why can't the Mets win a game? Is that a baseball team? It is a baseball team. He's a Braves fan. He has no right to talk. <laughs> hey, that's usually my line. I thought I you would get that. Nah, I know. I, I, just, I know it's a baseball team. <laughs> oh man, we're trying to keep it between the lines, people. Keep They're winning the tonight. <laughs> um, William William asks, "What's wrong with Grim Tutor, Limb Duels Vault, and Dark Petition?" <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Dark Petition. Card's great. Uh, people that like Grim Tutor, I feel like it's. Uh, like the sunken cost fallacy, like they're like, I've spent two hundred dollars on this terrible white border <laughs> card, and it's good. Are we talking about moat? <laughs> Close. But uh, it's just like worse than dark petition. Like even if I were to play ant, I would play dark petition over grim tutor, and I can afford grim tutors. It's just that I think across the board, dark petition is a better card. Okay. Uh, Scott has an interesting question. Um, because surgical extraction is one of those cards I think that is brought in way too often against decks that it doesn't do enough against. Um, but Scott asks, and he he is a 12-post player as well, so um, they probably have a, a fewer sideboard options against a deck like yours. But what do you think the best Surgical Extraction target is, and when should they cast it? Assuming that you're 100% bringing in Surgical versus Storms because you have that many dead cards to board out. So uh, the first thing you mentioned is like people over-sideboarding in Surgical. Mm-hmm. I do it all the time because... Mm-hmm. I want information on my opponent's deck. Mm-hmm. So, like, sometimes I'll board in Surgical against lands, which, like, isn't even good there, but because I want to see if they boarded in Creatures so I can tell them in Performance them. I mean, like, that's great information to have, and I think sometimes people undervalue the value of information. Like, knowing how I sideboarded, did I bring in Tundra's of Agony? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes people Burning Wish, or uh, Surgical my Burning Wish, and then they see that I brought it in Tendrils of Agony, and they're like, well, that wasn't a great move anymore. Because, like, I'm aware that people bring in Surgical, so I want to change my deck a little bit so that I don't lose to Surgical. Yeah. So, like, my Burning Wishes get hit a lot. Like, it's probably the card that gets hit the most. Uh, if you're really trying to cripple the deck, you have to figure out what plan they're on. Because if they're on an Ad Nauseam plan, hitting their Lotus Puddles or LEDs could really hurt. If they're on a Goblins plan, I don't think Surgical does anything. Maybe if you hit their Kerbal Therapy. 
Okay, so Goblin's Plan Surgical Extraction is not going to do anything, but against you know the other half of the deck, it can it can see some legwork. Yeah, and it, you can always get a really bad TES player on Surgical in their Burning Wish because then they're stuck with just empty the Warrens. Oh yeah, so you just kind of force them down down uh one line. All right, I like it. So, surgical is good when used in the right context, is what I'm picking up out of it. Yeah, like most other magic cards. <laughs> good. Um, good. All right. <laughs> uh, we're, we're telling you people, uh, be better. Just yes. be better. Be better. Um, uh, as my coworkers say about Dark Souls, get good. <laughs> get, get good. <laughs> uh, what do you expect uh, your reaction to be? What, what is this question? All right, William asks, what do you expect your reaction to be the first time someone stifles your storm trigger with Nimble Obstructionist in their legacy bird tribal deck? Why does he assume that it hasn't already happened? <laughs> <laughs> Has it happened? <laughs> no, but there is a guy in my locals that's playing uh, Nimble Obstructionist in his Landstill deck. I have, I have seen it pop up from time to time. <laughs> it hasn't happened to me yet, but I imagine my reaction will be, you got me, dude. <laughs> Good then slow clap. Just slow clap. <laughs> um, t- t- Warren asks, do you miss sitting next to me at the players' meetings? Uh, I-, I miss you, Warren. Warren used to be one of our local players, but then he moved to, I believe, Arizona. I miss you, Warren. Come on Warren back. is also a sign card aficionado. He's he a is. great guy. <laughs> uh, Warren, if you ever get the chance to meet him, any of our listeners, as an amazing talent where you can name... Like, literally any card. Just, like, a random common from 7th edition, and he will know who the artist is of that card. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that is an amazing talent that we've had many fun uh, hours just... (laughs) What is this? What is this? (laughs) Um, Kate Bates asks, uh, what is a card that you are surprised... More people don't sideboard in, and what card do you think people incorrectly sideboard in regularly? A lot of questions it's about sideboard. It's similar to the other. Today, yeah. uh, Pyroblast gets boarded in against me a lot, where, like, people don't realize this, but I board out Ponder a lot, so, mm-hmm. like, your targets are actually just, like, Brainstorm and Probe, which isn't that great for a card you're bringing in over something else. Yeah. Uh, and a card I'm surprised people don't sideboard in. I don't know. Sideboards are pretty stacked heavy against me right now, I feel like. Mm-hmm. If, when I look at so when I play online, I Google the person's name to see what they've been playing recently, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen too many sideboards where I'm just like, well, that's a dead card, that's a dead card. Like, at the moment, there's a lot of storm hate running around. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that kind of gives uh, online another kind of unfair advantage for the combo decks, where you can look up players' history at the touch of a button and get an idea of almost exactly what they, their sideboard plan is? To be fair, I feel like it's only fair because... My name on Magic Online is Brant Cook. Oh no, I'm not talking about the morality. I'm already at a disadvantage. <laughs> True. No, I'm just I'm not talking about the morality. I'm talking about like differences in playing the deck between online and paper. Because the more I think about it, like the more like I think that Storm is one of those decks that has the deepest divide uh, between its in real life and digital counterparts. So, what exactly is the question? Um, Do like, I think do- it's unfair. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> I don't, because, like, at large legacy events, so like, not even Grand Prix, so let's say the Eternal Extravaganza series, there's 250 people in that room. I probably know what 150 of them are playing, just because, like, the legacy community is very tight-knit, mm-hmm. and after a while of, like, knowing people, you know what deck they play or what types of decks they play. So, like, even if they're not on one, they're probably on one that's similar to it. Or you've been sitting next to somebody all day, or you just scout tables, like, 
by the time you get to the rounds that matter, you know what your opponent's playing. For sure. For sure. Um, Sean has a good question, too. Uh, what's your favorite card with the storm mechanic that isn't Tendrils of Agony, Empty the Warrens, or Grape Shot? Audio's cutting out. Oh, sorry. What's your favorite card with storm that isn't Tendrils of Agony, Empty the Warrens, or Grape Shot? How about this? I'll give you each three guesses, and then I'll answer. Oh, boy. Wing Shard. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> As Storm, you failed this podcast. Isn't, what, no, I thought, I thought Wing Shard was Storm. Wasn't, it isn't is that storm. the one like, it like deals damage to attackers? Storm? Wait, I thought... Has Storm? I thought it was a card without Storm. No, Has Storm. That has the Storm oh, mechanic. That's <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited to name my favorite non-Storm card. Oh. Okay, well, what's oh, your we, favorite we, non-Storm card? That's well, he one. wants us to play oh, a game. cutting out again. Oh. What's your favorite want... non-Storm card? Exalted Angel. Okay. Oh. All right. And I played and... Angel Control for a couple of years. It was like the first uh, Control deck I did well with consistently. Nice. I played uh, Skeletal Scrying and Exalted Angel. It was sweet. Uh, okay. That was another expensive uh, card way back in the day. It was a Chase Rare. It so, was. So then what's your favorite card with a, with a Storm mechanic that isn't one of those three that Sean listed? Temporal Fissure. Okay. What does that one do? <coughs> five mana sorcery storm bouncing on land permanent. Oh yeah, that was in like a uh, vintage masters or something like that. I remember drafting that card. It's also in scourge. In scourge, yeah. I I I always like storm because that's like right around when I started playing. Like one of my first tournaments was like the legions pre-release. Uh, so just going from legions into scourge, going from like an all creatures set into one of the most busted spell based mechanic of all time, uh, was pretty exciting. Yeah, <laughs> my, I remember my parents just buying me boxes and boxes of onslaught, and me at the time like when fetchlands first came out, they were only a couple dollars, and I was trading them for elves like left and right. I was like, <laughs> yeah, give me your elves champions, like send them this way. <laughs> I remember finding a box in the bottom of an old backpack and opening it up and having a bunch of, like, Onslaught fetches. And this was before, like, cons was printed. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Wow. <laughs> but, yeah, nice. it, was, it, was just, it was just, like, a, a bulk rare. Like, I remember opening them in packs and being disappointed. I'm like, ah, oh, my rare is just a boring land. Want <laughs> um, that Silvos. Oh, yeah. I've opened so many Silvoses. <laughs> <laughs> it feels I'm, great when you spend ten dollars on a pack of EMA to open up a. Yeah, I know. Oh, don't get me wrong. Um, I think I, I did like, I think I did like four drafts of EMA at some event, and in three of the drafts, I opened Jareth Leonian Titan, which was <laughs> awesome back in the day when it was in Onslaught. Like I love that card, but opening it out of packs now feels very sad. <laughs> Agreed. Um. All right. Let's get to another question here. Um. Brandon Brendan asks, uh, how do you get around Eidolon of the Great Revel slash Pyrostatic Pillar? Uh, you can cast Past and Flames and Tundra's Thumb without casting uh, nine other spells, or you can just Echo and Truth it, or yeah. Pyroclasm. Uh, so you just basically wait for their own uh, spells to bring them within range, and then you just do, you know, Past and Flames, Tendrils kill you for, you know... Well, if you cast Past and Flames and Tendrils, you haven't played ten spells that cost three or less, so you go to, like, four... Ah, okay. All right. Nice. Um, let's see. Matthew Dawson asks, Chalice of the Void or Sphere of Resistance, which one's a better hate card? I am more personally afraid of Sphere of Resistance, where mm -hmm. Ant uh, would prefer you play Sphere, mm -hmm. because they play more big mana effects, where I play smaller, faster mana effects. Okay. <coughs> let's see. Almost, almost through here. Uh, Chris Lehman asks, uh, how does Storm get around Leyline of the Void 
in opening hand or turn two rest in peace. And you had kind of mentioned that, like you don't really like need your graveyard to to finish someone off. Yeah, I just don't care. Yeah, Ant does, but even then they can just natural storm kill you by like playing ten spells without using their graveyard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, that wraps up all of our Facebook questions. Actually, a lot of really good questions in there. A lot of a lot of questions about sideboard, which is interesting because I think people may not have like a fully fleshed out sideboard plan against Storm, or maybe not, maybe don't feel confident enough in their sideboard plan against Storm, Storm decks in general. It's a really tough judgment call, I feel, especially when you don't have enough things to board out, mm-hmm. and you're deciding is this sideboard card really better than a possible threat like Deathrite Shaman, like. Sure. So I feel that's where a lot of the unease around the Storm decks uh, comes from, where mm-hmm. people people aren't sure. You know, they may know what they want to bring in, but they don't know what they want to bring out and if it's even worthwhile. Do not port out Deathrite Shamans. <laughs> Deathrite Shamans, leave them in. Yeah, I mean, they're unblockable goblin guides, basically. <laughs> that's what I keep telling Pat. Unblockable <laughs> goblin guides. <laughs> I actually love goblin guide. I'm a really big fan. Yeah, two damage chips away. It, it adds up. I uh, played Mono Red when I graduated college, and it was the cheapest standard deck at the time. So I got a lot of reps in. And then the last day that it was standard legal, someone gave me their foil playset. He was oh, like, nice. you like this card way more than I do. And I've kept them. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, all right, Jerry, was there anything else you wanted to cover today before we started wrapping things up? Um, not so much a shout out, but I did want to make people wear, uh, this Saturday. So day after this episode comes out, uh, scholars is hosting, uh, it's monthly, uh, legacy tournament. So yeah, I'll be that. going that, going to that. Not sure what I'm going to play yet. Um, it's been busy. I've gone to a legacy tournament pretty much every week this uh, month. Cause yeah. last week was like the gaming, et cetera. Then the TJs. So just oh, lots man. of, uh. Yeah, lots of high-level legacy happening in the area, which is I had, awesome. I had a bad time at Etsy. I mean, I had a good time hanging out with people, but man, I could not win a I could not win a game that day. It was rough. Yeah, I mean, I beat Celso's record, so that's all that mattered. I went I went four two, and I missed out on uh, top eight. It was a clean cut though, so I didn't get robbed or anything like that. But so, hmm. I was just gonna say, Celso won up to you though by scooping in someone into a win <laughs> who made it into the top eight. And then made yeah. it into top four split, so... <laughs> but even if Celso hadn't have scooped him in and just drawn with him, I still would have had a better record, and that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, his... Booyah, his, Celso! His good guy move out, outdoes your, uh, your having a slightly better can record. Can you let move. me... Can you just let me revel in my moment no, here? I can I, I'm gonna start, like, twirling my mustache. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't make it up to the, uh, the Scholars event this weekend, unfortunately, but I will try to hit up... Um, that's entertainment on Sunday, uh, if possible. Should be good. Awesome. Good weekend. Any, uh, yeah, Brian, any events uh, near you? Are you going to uh, Eternal Weekend, by the way? So I was actually going to mention, uh, end of September, Eternal Extravaganza 7. This is free advertising for Michael Caffrey and Tales of Adventure. Go to EE7. It's going to be awesome. It's in yeah. Philly. Get I food. Know. Their food is great. Play a large <laughs> legacy event. It's also going to be great. Yeah, they always put they always do a good job. I really like their tournaments every time I've been there. I unfortunately have a wedding that weekend. It's uh, better prizes than Eternal Weekend. Like I will be attending Eternal Weekend for the first time. Their prizes suck. Like Eternal Extravaganza Seven, way better prizes. Like uh, at the bottom of the Eternal Weekend website, asterisks all prizes are in store credit. And I've talked to winners of the last couple of years, and they say that by the time you get your credit, most of their case has been taken down. Hmm. That sucks. <laughs> that is rough. That is not what you want. Um, and then uh, Star City Games uh, DC is like the weekend after, which is Legacy as well. Mm-hmm. So within a full calendar month, there are three huge Legacy events in October. That's awesome. I love it. 
Feels like we're in like a, a good time for Legacy right now. Yeah, and what was it like six months ago? Everyone was screaming about the death of Legacy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because Star City Games, so they were you know cutting their Legacy support. Yeah, I hear a lot of that locally, like jokes like Legacy's dead. Quit talking about it. <laughs> like, but it feels like we're in like a golden age of Legacy right now. Like I'm playing so much more Legacy than I played you know three four years ago. The challenges have been pretty large as well. They're like 70, 80 people recently. The, the right. Magic Online challenges? Yeah. yeah I've, been, I've been trying to do those. I just I keep having either work or family commitments, but I'm going to try to get in one of those uh, soon. For sure. For sure. Um, all right. So do we want to get into scoops then? Scoops? <laughs> um, Brian, did you want to head us off or do you want do you want us to go first? Uh, visit my website because I said so. TheEpicStorm.com. Yes. It is awesome. <laughs> it's, it's a gr- super clean interface. Uh, there's a ton of good information on there, videos and articles and stuff. And I mean, like, if a website has a sideboard guide, like, how can you not ask for more than that? Because I feel like when people talk to someone about a deck, the first thing they ask for is a sideboard guide. So all that stuff is great. Great resource for Storm players. Definitely. Who are you scooping in this week, Cherry? Uh, so I want to scoop in John John Kerman for uh, sh- bringing my attention to it. But uh, just James Keenan and... Uh, Jeremy Zemet on Twitter uh, for you know setting up the charity event. Yeah, that's really <laughs> awesome. I'm um, hoping that we can uh, do a little bit with the cast as well to help help uh, push that as well. So um, yeah, like I said, we'll put the link in the show notes. If anyone wants to get involved, attend the event or whatever, uh, we'll have information for you for sure. Yeah, uh, were, you, were you talking about? I don't know. Maybe we're we're spoiling it, but we're we talking about doing some raffles or something like that. Yeah, we have uh, we have some play mats still left over that we're donating to the cast. Um, that I think would be cool to raffle off. Um, either we can raffle them off here, or maybe we could send them down to Zemet as door prizes. Um, you know, we can we can certainly ask him uh, what would be best for for the shop. Um, but we'll we'll do something with them. We'll we'll definitely get some uh, some stuff going on there to to help out the the cause for sure. Yeah, let us know on the page what uh, if you if you think uh, you guys want to do a raffle or if uh, we can just send them. Just uh, let us know what you guys want to do. Yeah, we can do like you know one dollar a person, do like fifty spots, and just. We have six, over almost 700 people on the page, so I'm sure we can get people to, to donate a buck and get a sweet play mat if they win, and all the proceeds can go to uh, to someone who's 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 needing help, you know? Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, I guess it's my turn. I'm going to scoop in Victor Bernhardt's. He's one of our most recent uh, Patreon um, uh, pledges there. I just want to say thank you to, to him. And uh, also, thank you to Bryant for coming on, man. It was really good to talk to you. Um I, so the storm decks in general are not something that I have a lot of experience playing with, or really any experience playing with. So it's always great to be able to pick the brain of someone who is uh, well versed in those decks and kind of uh, to learn a little bit about the other side of the, the table there. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great. Um, cool. So uh, Jerry, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we cut out of here? Uh, we're never talking about MKM Prague, are we? I, I, it, it gets pushed back every week. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about something. Uh, miracles won, people. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, all right. So, Jerry, do you have a, a, a D20? I do. You got the list? I have the list, yeah. There's been some quality additions to the list lately. Um, I forget who it was, but someone added up the DuckTales theme song. Yeah, that's, Hell a, yeah. that's on there twice now, so. <laughs> Good, more more chances of us hitting it. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to just, I'm just going to nuke this whole thread and just start choosing Ooh, songs myself. <laughs> DuckTales. Alright, what'd you roll, Jerry? Lucky number seven. Uh, James asks for Rehab by Down. I don't know this. Is sure. it Down by Rehab? I don't know, perhaps. 
Can we play a good song instead? <laughs> now, Brian, everyone's entitled to their own music tastes. Maybe it's good. We don't know. It's probably Maybe bad. it's the song that you'll play at your wedding. It's probably bad. This... <laughs> play us out I don't think it's Eddie Money Take Me Home Tonight, because that is a great song. <laughs> oh, man. I like yeah. that one. That's a good song. Yeah, it's like the best karaoke song of all time. It is. It is definitely up there for sure. No, the best is Wagon Wheel or Juicy. That is a good. Juicy. You really are from the country, aren't you? (laughs) Uh, I'm in the city. I'm sure you are. (laughs) All right, awesome. Jerry plays that with something sweet, Pat. (laughs) 